Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. I've always taken my health very seriously, but I must admit it's very tough to have a balanced diet every single day, especially when I'm traveling and on the road a lot. Then I found Athletic Greens. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. So what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I've never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. What a mission. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, all while still tasting good. What I find is it's beyond easy to use and that's definitely what I need. All you need to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and take it first thing in the morning. After a long flight or travel, it is a must for me too. It's that simple. They also make travel packs which I like to take on the road and to events. I notice a big difference when I include AG1 into my routine. I feel more focused and energized to get my day going. I seem to be more alert as well. Let's all be honest. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity, and alertness. Now, I don't care what you do. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by many professional athletes and health experts. To make trying it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'll link it in the show notes as well. How's it folks? Welcome back. This is Moving the Needle podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Nietling, but we definitely know you're not here for me. I've got an awesome guest this week, someone the news broke that he is retiring from downhill racing after multiple World Cup podiums. He was always on my betting list when we we're doing those reviews, you know, later in his career. Some injuries definitely, I think, got in the way of a lot of potential for even bigger results. But I loved his work ethic. I, I watched from afar. wasn't close to him on the circuit because he started racing a little bit after me. But Charlie Harrison, breaking the internet with your retirement news, I guess because you're sort of young in, in age of a career in downhill. But I think after those injuries and all that, you can almost call yourself a bit of a veteran coming back all those years. But how are we doing? And thanks so much for coming on and, and being willing to have a chat. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. I'm super excited and uh, I appreciate the kind words from your end. A um, lot of respect from me to you. Um, yeah, and I, I really appreciate everything um, and always loved how psyched you were on me at the races. And um, yeah, every time I got to chat with you at the races, you're always super positive and encouraging. So I definitely appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really good, man. Life is great. Life is beautiful. Um, yeah, it's been really good, you know, since stepping away from racing and just getting to, um, 
you know, start pursuing new things in life and also being able to kind of reconnect to bikes and um, just, yeah, fully find enjoyment back in it again. So everything's really good. Yeah, that's wicked. I mean, I could relate. I don't know what it was. I guess you on Trek. I did that. Uh, I also mm-hmm. remember that feeling of the first podium. So I rewatched some of those videos of you getting your first podium after putting nice. a lot of work in and even threatening to to uh, sort of give up, which we can maybe get to. But is this a decision? Because it seemed like people on the side, like people close to you, be it a Dean Lucas, maybe a Reese would have known. Like they might have known maybe Downhill wasn't your be-all and end-all, even from the beginning of the career. So this decision seems like it's not just like a quick decision for you. It seems like it might have been brewing a while, years, many years, or even part of the plan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think everyone that was uh, in my inner circle definitely knew that the way I approached racing was always, it was something that I did, but it wasn't who I am. Um, And I never approached it with the intent of, I'm going to try and do this for as long as I possibly can. Um, for me, the end goal was always to pursue firefighting whenever that, whenever racing did decide to end, whether it was six years, 12 years, whatever, like I didn't have a set amount of years that I wanted to race. Um, but I always approached racing knowing that this wasn't something that I was going to do, um, for as long as possible. So it definitely wasn't a quick decision. There was a lot of time that was spent. Um, getting to that decision, especially, yeah, over the years thinking about it. And yeah, it it definitely was something that was in the plan for a while. Um, It wasn't just a quick, you know, spontaneous decision. Yeah. um, And I think it's super unique having the plan. Well, it's not a plan B. It's almost like a plan A before the downer, which could have been argued as plan B. Like having that backup, did it take a bit of pressure off your career would you say knowing that well if it ends it ends it's not the be all and end all even though i mean i could see from afar you took racing as seriously as you could in the moment and were known mm-hmm. as one of the hardest workers out there but do you think it took some of the pressure off in a weird way yeah absolutely i i was always super fortunate that I mean, every athlete struggles placing their identity in whatever it is that you do. So I definitely struggled with that at times. But as I mentioned before, like I tried to approach it where racing is not my identity. Um, I was fully in it and that was like everything I could have given towards racing. Um, But I also felt very fortunate in the sense that I knew what I wanted to do after the fact. it's so hard for athletes oftentimes when you retire, you know, it's like, that's all, you know. So then when you're done with that, um, you're kind of like, shoot, what, what's next. So I was super fortunate in the sense that I knew exactly what I was going to start pursuing. Um, and I could kind of just start working on that straight away. Um, and then, yeah, within racing, definitely over the years, it was a, it was a good position to be in because while I was giving everything I had to racing, I knew what I was going to do once I stepped away from that. So I think for sure it it it, it left some pressure off. Um, and then other aspects of my life too, I feel like kind of helped um, alleviate some of the pressure from racing just as far as like being passionate about other things outside of racing, whether it's surfing or um, camping or riding moto, other things like that. To me, it was always super important being able to have things that I was very passionate about outside of my main thing, because at the end of the day, 
all athletes need to be able to have a break and kind of get away from that. So I had out outlets throughout my racing career that were able to allow me to kind of go and do these other things that I was very passionate about while recharging. So that way I could come back to training or get back to a race, um, and be super fresh and ready to go. Yeah. That, that balance is super tough. Hey, eh? when you like all you want to do, and it's sometimes often people struggle when they go from whether it's juniors to elite or from maybe you have a side job to a pro contract and then all you think breathe eat sleep is like downhill or, or sport um mm -hmm. and then it becomes so all-encompassing that it's like more pressure on your shoulders even though you've got more time to train you got all this the backup and stuff so it's interesting you say like you had those outlets but i battled with identity um and putting it all into a race result or when the when the weekend didn't go well yeah. and only later in my career like it's super interesting you mentioned that but you're obviously quite young and stepping away young, but it's tough when your identity is your career, right? But you, 100%, if you yeah, like really think... reflect, you happen to just do this as a career. It's not who you are, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, I mean, I, just like everyone, like I, I struggled 100% with, with the identity side of things, but I, when I was always trying to be cognizant of the fact that, um, that it wasn't the most positive thing to place your identity in it because it's very easy to get caught up in that. And everyone's going to have bad results. Like racing does not go how you want it to go all the time. Like more often than not, it's going the other way than how you want it to go. So once you have that identity in it, it, it can be very uh, easy to kind of slip down a bad path. So when did you notice that like you could be going down a bad path or should I need to be really aware of this? Cause it's not gonna be healthy for me. Number one, and probably for my results. Number two, was there like a tipping um, point there? Cause you were, you were quoted as saying you almost gave up like after a bad result, your, whatever it was your first world cup or in the elite ranks at Fort William or something like that. Right. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Yeah. It, it that was, um, yeah, that when I look back at my career, I feel like there was a lot of points where, now looking in retrospect it was kind of like that point could have been a make or break type thing um and um throughout the course of my career there was all it was like the way i look at it it was almost kind of just like blocks in my career and like i wasn't a lot of these like very pivotal moments in my career i wasn't like setting out to do like oh, I'm going to do this. It was more like finding yourself in that situation and then like almost being surprised that you're able to do it. And then from there, once you do it, then you're like, okay, well, then you start getting momentum and confidence and then you can kind of go from there. Um, so then it was like, like even looking back to a junior, um, you know, you race your first World Cup and just get like absolutely smoked. And then it's like, okay, then you start working at that. You start chipping away at that. Then you get a top five. Um and then you get some confidence from that. And then you kind of go into elite and then you're like, okay, well, let's see if we can try and qualify. Then you qualify. Okay. Let's try and get a top 30, blah, blah, blah. And then you just kind of keep going up and up. Um, but there was a lot of moments in my career where it, it could have gone one way or the other. And I was super fortunate that I kind of, um, was able to sort of just stick through it and it was able to propel me forward. Um, yeah, that, that one race in particular, that was my first elite world cup which is at Fort William, uh, crash and qualifying didn't qualify. And it was just one of those things because, you know, my, my career was so hard for me, like 
everything, like nothing came easy. So there was a lot of buildup to get to that point because it was like, I didn't have really any success as a junior at world cups. Um, it was just like grinding and chipping away at it. So then it, it was kind of just like for me in that moment crashing and then like not qualifying, it was just like, well, I've put a lot of years into all this and like, I'm working so hard and like, I just don't see it going where I want it to go. So it was almost just like one of those things where it's just so hard, like to maintain motivation when you, when you know what you're doing and you just don't see it paying off. Um, so that one was really tough in particular, but, uh, I'm super fortunate that I was able to, you know, stick with it. And, um, towards the end of that season, I was able to get some, what, for me at that time was really great results. Um, I, I started qualifying and then just started chipping away at it, got a top 30 at Mount St. Anne, um, and then got uh, two top 20, maybe top 15 results towards the end of the season. So um, yeah, it's just crazy looking back because there's so many moments and I'm sure you have it with your career where, um, I mean, racing is tough, being a professional athlete is tough 100%. Um, and there's just sort of these moments where you kind of need to just trust what you're doing. And once you look back on it, you're like, wow, I'm so glad that I kind of just stuck with it because it, it propelled you forward. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of similarities. I've definitely like, I bashed my head physically into the ground and mentally into the ground to the point that I was like, this podium is just never going to come. Like everyone yeah. can tell me I'm going to get one. Everyone can say the potential's there. And, yeah, I mean, I I'm super proud of it, and as as you should be, is it's about the, all the cliches, like not if you, what no, not out of fall, how hard you fall, but you know how you get back up, all those cliche mm -hmm. things, and and I think your career really with those those injuries, man, the way you bounce back, and even the, you have one in the middle of the season and then podium at the end, that almost I was like, that's why I kept betting on you. If someone was like, you know, I kept saying, dude, you, I'm the you're the stock I'm buying because you're a little undervalued. And the potential's there, you know. So um, I appreciate it. Thank you. And so now you've had this time because I assume this decision. We talked about it. It's technically years in the making, but it was probably the whole off season or start of end of last year, and you announce it now. Have you had yeah. nice time to like reflect and go, yeah, I did this mountain biking thing. Like it's it's pretty, you know, it's a unique career to tackle. You did it successfully. What does it look like? You know, are you chatting to your mates about it? What's it been like reflecting in the moment? And like you said, getting back to like the love of bikes. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been super beautiful being able to, to kind of just, yeah, have time to sort of reflect on it. And I, I it's a shame to say, but over the last few years with all the injuries, like I just got so bitter and resentful at bikes. And it, at, at the end of the day, it, to me, it just became work. And it was so sad for me, like, being self-aware and knowing that like something that was so special to me and I spent like so many years dreaming of getting to this point and I'm here now and it's just like it's just so tough and even though that you know that you're going through it and you're thinking about it this way like there's still nothing that you can do to change it um so for me that was really hard because just getting hurt over and over again working so hard to get back and then as soon as I would get back get hurt again and just getting knocked back and forth. Um, especially after sort of having that breakout year in 2019, for me, that was the hardest thing because it was over the last few years, the hardest thing for me was dealing with my own expectations, like not even from the team. Um, it was all just 
me knowing what I can do because I've proven it to myself. And once you, it's just like, once you got your first podium, you're like, okay, well I'm on the podium. So that's the standard. Now, if you're not on the podium, you're like, I, I could have done better in a, in an ideal situation. So for me knowing like, okay, like I'm capable of getting podiums, but I just keep getting hurt. And I, I know I can do this, but I can't even get to the point to be able to try and prove it to myself. That was so hard for me. And then that, and then just, the mental aspect of all the injuries just culminating over the years and just wanting these results and not even being able to get to the point where I could get them just, just fried me. And I just got super resentful. Um, and it was a really big bummer for me. Um, just knowing that something that was so amazing to me was just becoming, uh, such a grind. Um, but it, it's been pretty crazy. Like even, after this year, once I stepped away from racing, how quickly I was even able to start like looking back and appreciating it and being like, wow, that was like so amazing. Um, and it kind of just keeps getting better and better as I have more time to sort of sit back and reflect on it. Um, and even with the riding thing. So like, I didn't even say anything. I was that fried this year, but so I did my finger in Fort William. I got surgery on that. And then my first race back from that was U.S. National Champs, and I crashed there and broke a piece off my hip. So that was the rest of the season done. So I didn't like say anything about it. Um, I was just, yeah, I was just that burnt out that I was just like, I was just like, all right, all right I'm done. Like, I obviously knew like from a physical standpoint, I wasn't going to be able, I wasn't going to be back for any of the races this year. But um, I had, you know, decided that that was going to be my last year racing. So I, was, I knew that, you know, my racing career was done. So just, yeah, it took some time, just stepped away. But um, yeah, it was pretty surprising, honestly, how quickly, like once the hip healed and everything was good, like I was just driving one day and I was like, you know, it sounds kind of fun is going for a ride. And then just slowly, like, I, like, you know, like the first five rides or so I was just doing like, random little trails around the neighborhood like just trying to keep it like super super mellow um but yeah just like slowly sort of easing back into it starting to ride and just like feeling that feeling again where you're like wow like when i was 13 this is why i was like so gripped by the sport it's like so unreal and then now it's been so good um does we have a really good group of guys around here um a lot of the downhill racers from socal and then there's a few enduro guys as well and everyone's just really psyched on riding so we've been riding a lot lately and it's just been so good being able to sort of treat it as as just like a social thing now too like we go on group rides and i don't need to worry about am i doing my proper ride for the day like i can just go and i'm like you know the enduro guys i'm like all right what's your program today cool all right we'll do that and like everyone's just like in such a good mindset it's been unreal and then the weather's been really good with getting rain and stuff so the tracks are all in great condition so yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, when I knew that I wasn't going to be racing anymore and then got hurt and I was like, well, I'm not even going to race the, the rest of the year at all. Um, I honestly thought that I was just going to be like that salty guy that didn't want to ride bikes ever. And <laughs> the old so grumpy guy. Was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, cause I have so many friends that ride and I just thought like, you know, going down the line that when someone's like, Oh, let's go ride out. No, I don't want to do that. But um, it was pretty awesome to see how quickly once I was able to start riding again from a physical standpoint, um, how quickly I wanted to start riding. And then now it's just been uh, everyone's been in such a great routine. We've been riding a lot. So it's been pretty awesome to be able to just reconnect to that that point. Um, yeah, it's been very 
transformational in a sense, just being able to be like, have the realization that I can do bikes without racing um, and being able to experience it the way that it was initially and why I went, went the way I did with it is because I loved it so much. And so now I'm able to like be back in almost that little kid mindset. It's been pretty epic, honestly. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a good group of guys. I think that's key, definitely to keep it social and stuff like that. I'm wondering, because now I'm a couple of years ahead of you on this journey, right? And that's one of the reasons for the podcast. They reconnect with guys I met from the circuit or didn't race with, but got to know someone like you. But also this journey post-career, right? Retirement, super odd word, right? Because we're not really yeah. retired. We ain't got money yeah. in the bank. I hope we got some money in the bank and we were smart, <laughs> but we haven't. We're not, you're not a basketball player, NFL, pro golfer. I'm going to retire and then, you know, really figure out what to do with my life. Like you're going into another career. I'm, I'm dabbling in these careers. I'm wondering, because yeah. you haven't watched any races from the couch yet, right? So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you're going to miss it. I don't know. At this point, I don't. The way that I'm able to enjoy bikes now, I would do this decision over and over again because cool. I, ca I can't see like n no part of my brain sees me being able to, had I had kept racing, would I be feeling this way about bikes now? Um, so I don't have any regret as far as retiring from racing. I certainly didn't accomplish what I wanted to do with racing. But I know 100% that whatever I was going to make out of bikes, I gave myself the best opportunity to do that. So I, I can sit and reflect on that. Um, but it's been, yeah, like I said, I mean, the way that I'm able to experience bikes now, I'm so thankful for. Um, it's definitely weird now. Like, you know, m majority of the people that I ride with at home are racers, whether they're racing downhill or they're racing enduro. Um so it's kind of weird in that sense going riding and they're talking about their plans for the year and their um, training programs and this and that. And I'm just sort of hanging out. Um, but yeah, it's it, like I said, the the way that I'm able to enjoy bikes now, I can't I can't see that that transition happening while still racing. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see once once the races start up for sure. Um, Maybe it'll be weird watching it. I mean, I definitely, it'll be weird watching it. Um, but even like since I've stepped away from racing, there hasn't been the actual act of racing I haven't desired for. Um, sure, there's going to be parts of racing that I'm going to miss 100%, like hanging out with such great friends and the environment, getting to travel, that sort of thing. Um, but anything that's actually related to racing i've yet to miss yeah but that well i don't blame you those are all the shit bits the yeah, anxiety exactly. the injuries <laughs> like i've so i'm still going to some of these races and and hopefully you'll get to go to some with this mentality right because you'll be on the side of the yeah. track going thank goodness that ain't me you know that yeah, overnight exactly. rain track's been dry <laughs> perfect and now you know you got two runs to figure out a wet track plus yeah they're going to change the rules. So getting to a final isn't as simple as it used to be. And that maybe we yeah. can pause and talk about, about later. But 
Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think what you've got going in your favor is what I miss currently still and did is that single-minded focus. You're working on a goal. You know what you're waking up for. You've got a schedule, all those sort of things. But you're going to have that, right? Because you are going to pursue another career, which I think is going to give you I had this weirdest chat to Mike Day about it, and uh, he was thinking of pursuing it. And it, it makes sense because it's a high-pressure environment. You've got to push your body and your mind, especially in, in training. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems like an interesting career that would have some similarities. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's ultra-competitive. Uh, you need to be super fit for it. The The process of actually getting hired is very in-depth and there's a lot of steps that you need to take so there's there's tons of similarities for sure um the team environment that sort of thing the high stress scenarios so yeah i I think there's a lot of stuff that will translate and for me even over like in my racing career i remember i had a a chat with uh coach kilmary at i want to say it was like andor in 2018 but even while I was in racing, like I was telling him, like, I don't think that like for me, racing was always, it wasn't because I'm competitive in the sense that like, I just want to show up and I want to beat people. It, for me, it was an outlet to just see what I was capable of doing. So if you look at it that way, it's like, you can apply that to whatever you're doing as you move forward in life. Um, so it's kind of just the way that you approach things is what really makes it similar in a sense. Yeah, that's interesting, hey, and again, some similarities. I, I don't know. I didn't have that FU attitude that I needed to yeah. beat so-and-so. There were guys I would be like, mm, it's not great when you're ahead of me on the timing sheet. But yeah, it Absolutely. was like you, you knew your potential. You knew what you could do or hopefully what you could do and you raised those expectations. Yeah, I could see that. And, and that's why if you have a correct path after sport, you can be a successful anything, right? Because you've kind of got the template. You've got the get up and go. You've got the work ethic. You know that if it go have a bad few days, you just got to keep grinding, right? And, uh, I mean, shucks, from what I can hear, the training to be a firefighter is no joke. Um, yeah. Yeah, hopefully hopefully you can take that and, and move forward in life and, and be successful. I mean, nothing is, nothing is given. Um, so, yeah, it's... It, it's just something that you need to kind of take the, the lessons that you've learned from racing and bring it forward. But even kind of going back to that reflection thing, I'm so thankful for racing and the lessons that it's taught me that I'm able to bring forward in life. Cause it's kind of crazy. You look at something that's our sport is such a niche thing and you know, it's, it's such a minority within bikes and just sport in general, but for something that's so, particular to its itself um there's so many areas of it that you can really sort of translate to anything that you're doing which is i'm very thankful for so what would if you had to name a few what would those be like that you say yeah these are a few lessons i've probably learned will take take on uh i think the biggest thing for me is just whatever your dreams are to really go after it because what I was able to do in my career, not that I did a whole lot, but for me, it was, I was able to do things that if you would have told me two or three years prior to that, that this was going to happen, I wouldn't have believed you. And like I said, it it wasn't like I, 
these pivotal moments for me, which are all relative, you know, like getting a top five as a junior was amazing for me. Like I never sit on a world cup podium as a junior, but in that moment, like that was so pivotal for me, gave me confidence. I was able to sort of take that confidence into my first year, uh, elite, but just because it was, I was willing to chase a dream and I was willing to go through the process and, and give everything that I had to it. I was able to do things that I didn't know that I was possible, uh, of doing. So for me, being able to take that forward is just like, whatever you're going to do, if it's worth the effort to you, like you need to commit to it. Um, because you, you really don't know what can come of it. Um, on the other, on the flip side of things, I think now having time to reflect on racing for me, something that I really want to implement going forward is balancing. Um, the way that I operate is being all in and just the things that I was, the things that I accomplished for myself within racing, like it wasn't off of talent. It was just like chipping away at it and working hard. So as a result of that, the way that I knew to, to go about things was just, it was all just work, 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 and just try harder, do better. So as a result of that, um, there was a lot of stress. And then towards the end of my career, with all the injuries and not being able to go and get results and race and sort of get that familiar, that fulfillment from all of the work became, um, like I said, a lot of, a lot of resentment, a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness. So just being able to kind of go forward in life and still work just as hard at things and commit to them. But at the same time, um, being able to balance that and stay a little bit fresher. I think I mentally, I, definitely was not I could have been easier on myself with the way that I go went about certain things um you know doing things going above and beyond even though I didn't have to but just because you know that was how it worked in the past and that's all I sort of knew and for me it was just like a way of keeping things simple is just like doing more and working harder even though in certain scenarios um it would have been better to rest more or not stress about so many things, that sort of thing. So kind of the balance side. And then um, as well as that being able to just like commit to things and, and not knowing um, what you're capable of doing until you put yourself in that position and put the time in to get there. Yeah, there's so many lessons you can learn, but man, I'm laughing because I would, if I had to go back and do it, I wouldn't change anything. I don't regret anything, but enjoying it not being so hard on myself but i don't yeah. know if that's even possible in like competitive sport you know like that just yeah. your personality just comes out right and you deal with it in in all these different ways but speaking of personality your work ethic like it's well renowned on the circuit right is that your upbringing because your dad was a firefighter as well if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah so is this like a childhood from. upbringing um like did he did it you know subconsciously just kind of drill it into you you just saw him working hard at, at his career like where does that come from that you were like well i'm gonna do this so i'm gonna do it 110 percent. otherwise not at all i think it was my parents mainly just my, my mom's an er nurse and then my dad's a retired firefighter so just sort of seeing the way that they went about everything um as we were growing up i think really kind of just gave us the foundation um to to be able to to go forward and kind of take that programming and bring it forward in whatever we were doing in our lives so i have a younger brother who's two years below me and then a younger sister who's four years um, younger than us 
or younger than myself. So I think, and they're both very successful. My, my sister is going to school for nursing. And then my brother actually just graduated uh, from his fire academy yesterday. He had his first day today on the job. So I, I won't say what department he's working for because he's on probation for the next year. But okay. um, yeah, he, he absolutely crushed it. And I'm super, super proud of both of them. Um, but yeah, growing up, my, my parents just worked so hard to give us such great lives. And allow us to be able to chase our dreams, whatever it was. So growing up, my brother and I raced motocross. I raced moto for eight years um, and he raced moto for about six years. And just sort of seeing the way that my parents committed to chasing our dreams, whatever it was, you know, once once racing sort of ended, uh, my brother went the team sport route. And then my sister also did tons of things, horse riding, um, lacrosse. So, so all these things, just seeing how committed our parents were to allowing us the opportunities to be able to chase those dreams, I think kind of just gave us um, sort of a framework to bring that forward. Um, and also too, I think a big thing personally for me is like I said, like nothing within racing came easy to, to me. And it I, I'm not this crazy talented bike rider. Like it was all just, just working at it. So that's how I knew that was for me, that was the simplest way to move forward because that's how I got into that point and how I wanted to get to the next point is just sort of chipping away and working at stuff. So yeah, nothing, nothing came easy. So it was, it was a blessing and a curse. Um, it was, it was very simple for me how to work towards goals. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's it really. I mean, it, it was just not, nothing was easy. So it was just for me, just work at things. And um, eventually, if, if you work at it long enough and chip away, you'll, you'll get to where you want to go. And the moto thing, did you guys kind of chase that American moto dream? Or were you just kind of like a hobby on the side and you go racing as a family? Do you, do you remember those days? You know, yeah, what was that like? yeah, we we were definitely like we never went to Loretta's or anything of that, but we were definitely doing all the races around here. Um, you know, doing all the amateur nationals around here, and it was we were fully committed. Uh, my parents were spending tons and tons of money. Dude, crazy knows, money motos, that sport, huh? Crazy expensive. So that was one of the things. You know, towards the end of when we were racing, um, we took a year off. To, so my parents could just recoup their some of the funds because it was just getting that expensive. My brother and I racing full time, you know, multiple bikes for each of us, doing all the races, riding three days a week, um, and then we, yeah, we sort of took a took a year off. And during that year, that was kind of a, a point for us to reflect and sort of be like, this isn't something like we we weren't missing it that much, and we kind of realized that this was something that maybe wasn't necessary. So. We, we, after that year, we, we raced maybe like another half season, but that was kind of like sort of the end of it because we were able to have this time off. And then we sort of realized that it wasn't something that was, um, extremely necessary in our lives, but yeah, we were definitely, um, you know, for, for California, local, regional, that sort of thing. We were as, as committed as you can be trainers, you know, the whole, yeah, the whole nine yards for as serious as you can be when you're. 10 years old you know yeah but it's such serious business like the amount of people that put them into financial ruin and kids are like dropping out of school i follow that scene i think we all did you obviously started in moto went to downhill i was just mm -hmm. kind of bikes and then was itching to get a motocross bike to train and really followed the scene and still do to a certain extent 
at least some of the content and uh man that that's a workhorse sport as well i mean those guys yeah. the Filipotos, the carmichael a lot of most of these guys dungy like that's humble humble beginnings right they just dug mm-hmm. it out the dirt and the family as well like I, I wish there was a better system because I, I think a lot of those families just put a lot of weight on these kids to make yeah. it as a yeah, pro I motocrosser because there are some big contracts, you know, it's a lot different to downhill. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel bad for the, the kids in moto these days. Like it, it's a blessing and a curse that they're able to be committed so early on, but the, the pressure that's gotta be on these little kids is, is insane. Um, you know, you have all these kids at 13 years old having factory rides and they're still on 80s. It's it's insane. Um, and yeah, they're just so committed from from so early on. So it, and there, it's such a high risk commitment, right? Because how many of these kids do you see when they're when they're younger, they've got everything and they're, and they're so committed, but, um, you know, they, they don't get a factory ride when they're pros. So then they're they're left with like you had all these years being so committed and then, and then it doesn't work out and you're like, okay, well, what do I do now? It's, it's gotta be a crazy, um, crazy situation to be in for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like you've got to do some of that in downhill now with the junior categories and obviously the elite teams are often picking riders out of there. Like yeah, I didn't well, have I, that when I was younger. So I just, I kind of don't even know if I support it because I'm just worried that the Kangle gets dangled, they don't finish school or they don't have mm-hmm. a backup, you know, and then yeah. downhill, you definitely don't make enough money to even have a short career, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be hard. I, I've, I always appreciate the kids who, and within the motocross community that are staying in school full time and you see them, you know, they, they don't really, um, fully commit to it until they, they kind of get more towards the pro ranks, which is always cool to see. And there's a few pros out there that, stayed in high school the whole way um just like you're saying i mean there's there's a lot of things that are enticed and it's very easy to think that you're gonna make it and i don't want to like shoot people's dreams down but it's just you look look at how many fast amateur kids are there and kids that are unreal winning all the amateur titles and then when they get to pros like a few years into pros you don't you don't hear much from them. So it's just a, it's a brutal sport to be in. Um, downhill these days is, is getting like that. Like you're saying, you know, these factory teams are picking kids very early on, but at least to sort of defend them, you know, it doesn't get super serious until you're racing junior world cups. So at a minimum, you're 16 years old, you know, whereas there's kids that are like i said on on 80s even on 60s with factory rides yeah what's so that at loretta's what's like a important category are they like 11 or 12 or is it like when are they start getting because you get like that cower back support i know i mean back in the day the little knowledge yeah. i have of it they, they're pretty young yeah i i can't speak too much on that i i don't I like i never raced loretta's and um, I have a lot of friends that still race moto, but I'm not super, super involved with the way it works. But I mean, I, I feel like for what it takes to get to Loretta's, I bet you even down to the 50 classes, it's pretty serious. You still got a moto? Do you still ride? I still ride. Yeah. Oh, so you still had one like for training or just for the love of it in the garage? Yeah. 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 I've had, I've had one ever. I mean, since I stopped racing moto, I've, I've had one my entire life. So. And um, so 
I don't even know then, like, when's your first mountain bike? Like, how the hell do you go from racing yeah, moto? It's pretty, it, and then, it's pretty crazy Like, story, it's kind honestly. of a bit Gwynny to me. You've got the moto background, so a bit of racing in you, the work ethic, and then you're like, oh, this mountain bike thing looks fun. <laughs> Gwynny's way sicker on a moto than I am. You reckon? <laughs> yeah, he's pretty sweet on a moto. I'm um, sure he is. I mean, he, he got to a pretty decent level as well. You think so? He's easily the best mountain biker on a moto. I'm not Although sure. Although you haven't, Greg, Greg's pretty damn good, dude. I, I just haven't seen Menard? them together. Yeah, Manar can ride. Okay. Yeah, Manar, yeah, he, he's I, similar I, to you. Grew up racing and then his parents opened a bike shop. I don't know why exactly. And then didn't have time to take him to the track. And then mountain biking was the next thing. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I've always thought over the years it would be pretty epic if uh, we could get like an, an in, a mountain bike industry moto race going. So yeah. we could all just see how it goes. It'd be pretty sweet. Elliot's pretty oh, unreal shit, on a moto this Elliot. too. Elliot's probably, he probably will take I mean, the cake, I've seen honestly. him good ride like, at a pretty fast pace. So I'm sure he He was ride. like full factory team green till 250s. True. It's got to be Elliot, Gwyn. Manar's yeah. probably like sneaky quick as well. I've yeah. seen him ride. Uh, I haven't yeah, seen Re you Reese ride. I'm really sure good. you're damn quick and you're just being humble. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, Reese is really good. He's. Uh, I got to ride with him at his place before I uh, went to Fort William this year. So, But has he got yeah, a background a few... in moto? Or is he just doing yeah. it on the yeah, side? Yeah, Reese has got a full background. He was like really good amateur. Oh, shit. Um, super, super, super committed. Yeah. Yeah, and Danny Hart, yeah. well, Danny Hart can ride as well. I don't know the speed. We need to just, we need to set up a race. That's what we need yeah, to do. Ta Taylor Vernon was unreal racing moto, um, still really good. So there's a lot of guys that are pretty, pretty dang solid on motos. Right. I'll commentate. I will definitely not be trying to show <laughs> up. Man. Yeah, it'd be super fun. Imagine if we could line that up. It'd be epic. Yeah, I just don't know when. You need everyone around. I guess it's at a race and then get a bunch of bikes. It's probably the yeah. easiest. Well, after... you got to do it after the season. No, though, after so the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it can't be at St. Anne because that'll probably be in the snow. So I don't know where what's going to be yeah, rideable that. at that stage. <laughs> you're going to be stoked you're not at that race. Oh. I mean, I hope they get good weather, but there is also obviously factually a chance they don't. But So mountain biking, I digress. <laughs> you, you so yeah stop, stopped racing moto and it wasn't it wasn't anything like oh we're gonna stop racing moto and i want to start racing mountain bikes um my whole life mountain bikes was always uh a part of it it wasn't like we were super super passionate about mountain biking and like doing it super frequently but um you know we we would do it a few times a year and every time we do it like when you're a moto kid like all you like when you get on mountain bikes it's just like the best thing ever and growing up like i i had a really big base of bmx um not racing just like riding dirt jumps skate parks that sort of thing all of my friends did it so that's what we did when we weren't at the track you know that was like my hobby outside of of racing moto um so i stopped racing moto and i was just doing um, doing the things that I was doing, riding BMX, going to the beach, that sort of thing. Um, and then, yeah, having that base of mountain bikes throughout the year, it was always something that I, I really loved whenever I got the chance to do. So like we would go to the amateur moto nationals at mammoth every year, and we would pretty much always do a mountain bike ride either from like the top of the mountain, or there's like a few trails that you can sort of do where you just shuttle for that go like down into downtown. 
Um, so I always had that base and just absolutely loved it at any chance I got to do it. It was so much fun, whether it was there or like even here going to like Whiting Ranch, which is just like the local like XC place when we were kids. Um, my dad would take my brother and I, and my mom would like shuttle us up to the top because we were too young to like do any sort of pedaling, you know? Um, but anytime we got to do it, it was just like such an awesome experience. So I, I stopped racing moto, I was riding BMX, um, hanging out, you know, going to the beach, doing all that sort of thing. And then I always knew what, what mountain bikes were. And I, I started to like watch the videos. Like I used to froth over the old, like specialized 411 videos of, Brendan and Troy when he was super young and Sam like just spent hours watching them. Um, so I decided that I wanted to get some sort of downhill bike. My downhill bike was just like a free ride bike, but yeah, saved up half of it. My mom was nice enough. She matched the other half. So saved up for like a year or whatever, year and a half, whatever it was, went and got this bike and it was a, a Scott voltage with like a single crown domain fork on it. Um, it was just like the best day ever going to pick that thing up. So got that and then just started riding locally around here. There was like a few like sort of jump spots, little like, you know, 10 second push track spots. So started meeting some friends. And um, one of the friends that I started riding with was like, hey, there's like this race this weekend at, at like Fontana if you want to go. And I was like, I, like, I didn't know anything about it. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Sounds fun. And uh decided to go and then my mom was like doing research and then she found uh rich hausman and he was doing at that time he was doing uh training clinics at all the races during the weekend so she was like okay well it's your first mountain bike race like you should probably go and like do it like do it with a trainer um just so you kind of like get the gist of it and so went hung out with rich and and there was like i don't know five or six other kids that were doing his training camp for that weekend um got to meet him and I guess he saw something in me. And from that point on, he really just like took me under his wing and started, uh, started coaching me like riding wise, you know, like show it. Cause I had not ridden like anywhere, like proper downhill. Um, so he started taking me riding and yeah, it really just like took me under his wing. So it's pretty crazy. Like just getting invited to go to a race and, and going and, and having a blast with it. And then just seeing what it turned into is pretty crazy. So rich was, I mean, I would would not have had a career without Rich, um, and he was such a huge part of my career up until like my second year of elite. So, or I mean, um, of a junior because he, I did the camp with him. He must have saw something in me, and then he started um, pretty much running that ODI development team that I was on for a very long time up until, like I said, up until my second year as a junior. Um, and he took such great care of me and always pushed me to to go forward and and um yeah I was such a pivotal person in my career something that someone that I literally would not have gotten anywhere without him coming into my life so it's pretty crazy to be able to look flat look back and I'm sure you have those sort of people too looking back on your career and you're like man like if that person hadn't stepped into my life like what would have happened yeah I've got the the longest laundry list and and I yeah. try to yeah I could go much on as I and can, on but Dude, from the people that drove me places when I was in America. But this Fontana place and uh, the ODI backing there, like they've done a lot for the development of Downhill in general mm -hmm. and obviously the US side and, and Rich yeah. as well. I've got, I mean, what an awesome guy. I met him through Eric Carter. I think Eric mm -hmm. Carter would be your version 
or my version of your rich, like Deffy took yeah. me on his wing. And so what was it, what was it like, you know, because he had a great career as well. And at that time he's obviously, did you know anything of what he's done and, and, or is it all just new and exciting? You're like, okay, I'll come ride with you. Like, okay, sure. Fontana. Yeah. It was all sort of just, yeah, a naive, not really knowing anything. I mean, I, I, from, from what I met him, you know, like it was very obvious to see that he was sponsored and that sort of thing and, and be able to recognize that he's probably pretty established within racing. But, um, yeah, it, it, prior to that, it was just us kids riding around town and, and having fun. So it wasn't like we were super in the scene or, um, really following racing or anything of that sort, but yeah, it was so epic to be able to, to be a part of his program and, and how much he did for me and all, all of the, you know, you have these people and, and you meet them, but it's, it's just like a branch effect, you know, like how many other people do you get to meet because of that person? Um, you know, he introduced me to Gwynny and Gwynny did a lot for me over the course of my career, especially when I was younger on. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's exponential what, one person can do for you is pretty pretty crazy and humbling to be able to reflect on what was that relationship like with Gwynny? um i didn't know like how close you guys were or what sort of mentorship he gave you what was that what, what was that like coming up the ranks with him mentoring you yeah so he was he was a part of the odi team for a few years because he was sort of um kind of helping like it, it was almost like an outlet for him to kind of help give back a little bit and kind of give back to the development side of things. So like our first year on the ODI team, which would have been 2012, maybe it was his last year on track. So we were on track for that year. And then the next two years we were on specialized when he went to specialized. Um, so yeah, it, it was just really cool to be able to meet him and yeah, to be able to eventually start going to races with him, get to start riding with him. Um, you know, he brought us to like a few training, training sessions, testing sessions, that sort of thing. So it was, um, I'm definitely very appreciative that he took us, uh, us little kids along with him for the ride and got to, got to have some fun times for sure. Um, and it was pretty cool to be able to be such a little kid and have this guy who's obviously the, the best of the best, um, wanting to hang out with us and take us riding and that sort of thing. So it was very cool on his end for sure. What what impressed you the most? I mean, about about Quinny back then. I mean, that was at the height of him going on those winning streaks as well. Um, what? Yeah, like I I I didn't get to know Quinny at all. Like I I can't say much about his inner workings and and stuff. I just know how hard he must have worked. You know. Yeah, yeah. It was really cool for us. I think he was at that point in his career where he was still really young, and he was almost. Um, it, not that I want to put words in his mouth or anything, but to me, it seemed like he was at that point where he was doing so good, but he was almost like he was finding himself in that position. Kind of like I was saying earlier, where you're almost not, I, I doubt he was surprised with himself, but he was finding himself in these positions where he was just performing so well. So it was, it was pretty cool to see. Like I, I bet he wasn't dealing with a whole lot of expectations or pressure at that point. He was just getting to perform. So it was pretty epic for us little kids to be able to see that someone that is literally the top dog um, still having time for us little kids and, and having so much fun with us, whether it was riding or doing other things, you know, we got to spend a lot of time with him. Um, 
And personally, I got to do a lot of fun things with him and just like hanging out with him was a really great time. So it was it was definitely pretty cool in that sense. Um, And then his cousin, Ben Clark, who was living with him at the time, he trained me for basically the first. So I trained with Chris for the last five years of my career. Um, And then Ben, who is Aaron's cousin, was training me up until that point. So there was a lot of connections going on. So it was it was just a fun time. Any anytime we all got to hang out together. Was he still so nice to you when you started performing? Because didn't you win some U.S. nationals? And like I, at a point, I thought you were holding the American flag when he had some of those tougher years, right? Uh, he's always been been super super nice. No, to I'm me, just poking sure. fun at it, um, but it was it was something I was interested in. It did you start feeding those expectations? You said you put the own ones, your own expectations on yourself. But you had that that run there with some of these results and maybe Gwyn was not having the best years. Like you were the American guy holding that flag up. Did you feel any of that pressure from like the American side of the industry? Um, I wasn't – it wasn't from a sense of like – I never looked at it the way of like, oh, I'm holding the American flag or whatever. Um, it was just kind of, as you mentioned, having personal expectations and realizing like if – if I perform my best today, I should be able to beat these guys. So it was just, it was just from a performance standpoint, really being like, you know, that's, I know what I'm capable of. And if things go as, as well as they can today, why can't I be on the top step? Yeah. Could you imagine you were able to keep that feeling and excitement of that first downhill race at Fontana, like throughout your career? I mean, it's obviously impossible. It's a holy grail of like, managing your expectations i've actually read a book on that um and it's this guy he's basically an engineer and he was at google plus and i'll show you the book offline but he he engineers it and he's kind of like your view of reality matched to your expectations of the event and that's kind of your happiness it's like the swinging pendulum and i'm butchering it a lot but it's like if you put so much expectations of how the event or result should go and you don't obviously in reality achieve that, you're going to be unhappy. Mm-hmm. And, and and he's not saying lower all expectations and don't have goals. But going into something, if you think it's going to be the best steak you've ever eaten in your life and it's not close to that, well, you're not going to be happy, right? And that's like a small yeah. thing. And it's funny how as athletes and high performers, you're always just critical of yourself. What can be better? Cool. I got third. What can be better? I want to be second. What can be better? I want to be Mm -hmm. first. Yeah, I think, I think being more present throughout the last few years definitely could have helped for sure. Um, But as you, as you were saying, like I, I I would not have changed it as at all the way that I operated. Um, Like it would have been amazing if you could just keep that little kid froth the whole way through it. But there's no way that, I would have been able to um, do these things that I was able to do had I not just locked in the way that I did. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the balancing act, I guess. Yeah, and I don't want to like that man intensity I, uh, to racing. Yeah, and I like I don't want it, this to be like by no means do I want people to think that like I wasn't enjoying it or having fun. Like this is like literally like the best experience ever and the memories that I got to make and the experiences I got to share with all of these people. I met some of my best friends and literally had like the most fun of my life. So this isn't like, 
oh woe is me like racing sucks like racing is amazing <laughs> for sure it's just you know it, it, just as you know there's there's the pros and the cons to everything and being a professional athlete regardless of what you're doing is very tough even doesn't matter who you are everyone has uh everyone has battles within themselves yeah yeah i mean just because it's a good job doesn't mean an easy job just because it's a dream job doesn't make it easy i mean everyone's yeah problems and struggles are all relative mm -hmm. you know you obviously choose yeah. which problems you're going to have but at the same yeah. time yeah it, it really i'm the same as you i don't want to come across complaining about how hard racing was it's like we're so spoiled and lucky we got that opportunity yeah and and i'm aware of that it's yeah I'm yeah, humbled that, that I got, got to, to do it for so long. You know, I'm like, wow, that's really, really cool. Whether it was long enough or not, it's irrelevant. And I was going to say something earlier, like you said, you maybe didn't get all the results you wanted or set out to once you saw what you could achieve. The mm -hmm. funny thing is, and you're already kind of noticing it, but in 10 years, 20 years, it ain't going to matter, is it? The number no. of podiums you actually had, it's really yeah. not going to matter at all. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, it wasn't like looking back on that. It's not because, oh, I want to be able to write down these things on a piece of paper. Um, as I mentioned, it was racing to me. It was just seeing what I was capable of. So it was like, all right, like you get a you get a podium and you're like, okay, what's the next thing? I want to win one, you know? It's like it's just sort of getting all of this work over the years, all these this culmination of all these things that you've done to get to that point and being able to – get them to come together on the right day in the right way and be able to accomplish these things. Um, so it was more kind of that sense for sure. Yeah. See the Gwynny thing, like this expectation thing, like I often have said, like he's, it seems like he's a victim of his own success because his expectations mm -hmm. go up. The industry's expectations go up. Bruni feels it sometimes like, okay, well, seconds a failure just because I went, he went on this rampage, right? And everything was probably quote unquote easy for him. Mm -hmm. And then you have a few, they're not even bad races. Like if you get a fourth, it's World yeah. Cup downhill. You're racing, it's the best races in the world, you know? And then you yeah. people start saying what went wrong and all these things. It's, I think he's actually like handled a lot of that quite well in a sense, because it must be really hard fending off all that sort of stuff over time. Yeah. And that was something that I was always so respectful of over the last few years of like, seeing these guys that are just there every weekend you have your Omri's, your loix your loris um danny's very consistent like all these guys that greg yeah, like troy you know troy yeah you I mean, know you just that know he's gonna there. be there and that was the that was the hardest thing for me was like i just had so much respect for these guys because over the years like on track i was able to get some good results but the consistency wasn't there. And that was what I was striving to be is like one of those guys that was there every weekend. Um, and people do not realize how hard of a job they have to be able to go do a full world cup season and limit mistakes, be able to perform on all of these different tracks, all of these different conditions is so gnarly. And how many of those results that they're getting where you look at them, you're like, yeah, they were there this weekend. But for them, like, that was a tough weekend, whether they they had a super crash in practice and their wrist is tweaked or they hate the track or they like the bike's not working great. Like all of these things where 
at the end of the weekend, you look at it and you're like, oh, that's a that's a good result for them. But people outside of the sport have no idea of how much goes into getting that result on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I again, <laughs> there's clearly some similarities. That's why I was quite eager to have this call. And, uh, you know, it comes down to mental preparation and, and that's like, like knowing you don't have your best, but not giving up. So knowing you're not yeah. going to win the race for a Greg or a Loic, but like, okay, how am I going to salvage this one? You know, and that's them digging yeah. deep, but it's mentally, right? We've both shown we've had speed, but they weren't consistent podiums or whatever it may be. Right. And I even spoke to sports psychologists about this and they were able to get closer to their potential potential more consistently i mean your top mm -hmm. potential could have been very close to those guys but you just had those dips and why was that yeah. process mental all these you know some of the un uncontrollables that you let affect and maybe that's the hard thing to accept it's mental right that's you've got to take responsibility that's also part of the reason yeah. you know for sure i think reese has done a really great job too over the last few years getting to that point of being one of those dudes that's there every weekend because he's always very self-assured of what he can do on a bike too. It's always amazed me um, how he he is comfortable. Like if, if the speed isn't there for him during practice, he's okay with not riding that fast, but he knows what he can do. And then when the race comes, like you know Reese is going to be there. Um, and that was something that was always very impressive for me. Really? If he's feeling that. like you can sense he's not comfortable on that track that week or, you know? Just like during practice, but you know that he's probably going to put it together for a race run. And then especially over the last few years, he's become one of the top guys. Um, so it's been pretty awesome to be able to, I mean, Reese is one of my best friends, um, but being able to kind of see the way he goes about that process. But yeah, I mean, the, the mental toll for all of those guys, um, the expectations and knowing that you have to perform no matter what, regardless of how you feel or how you like the track or whatever is... It, there's such a big toll to it that people unless you've been through it people just you can't understand it at all no definitely not and 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 no matter what's going on at a home family life you know yeah wife, let alone fiance yeah, girlfriends like all that like stress at home and then it's not like okay i'm gonna go and just work hard it's like i gotta go hurtle down this damn hill <laughs> you know literally, gotta, it, you've got to yeah, be pretty damn precise in your life yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how it was for you, but for me, like my top results, it was like I was literally like I could not have ridden my bike faster. Like the amount of trust you're putting into yourself and like risk that you're like, there's so many sections where you're just like, I'm just going to no break this. Like, hopefully I get to the end of it and I'm OK. Um, the the speed and the commitment that that these top guys ride at these days is insane. Well, you said it these days because I'm not taking any credit. I think for sure when I've had some good results, but me out of it, the sport has changed. The sport is changing like every year incrementally and I'm blown away, man. I'd say even when I was in it, like, yeah, okay, to win by a margin like maybe Gwynny did or Sam did. or But you could you could put down a good quality run and get a top 10 or or tick quite a lot of boxes and maybe get the podium and, and risk it. But I don't know, man, they nowadays, these guys are willing to die for it. So more yeah. people are willing and the bikes are cap more capable. Like it's an insane sport these days. For sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, even 
myself, I noticed that even like compared to like 2018 to now. Um, yeah, it's there's so many good guys on the hill. The anyone that's getting in the final, like your top 60 guys, is they're unbelievable. Um, but you look at top 30 down, all of those dudes have probably had a top 15 result. Most of them have been on a podium or had a top 10. Like it's insane the the level of competition these days. Yeah, and the amount of guys that can win a race now. It's a it's quite a long list that have won, some that are capable that haven't done it yet. But mm-hmm. it's what do you make of some of these rule changes, or have you not really been paying too much attention considering you're stepping away? Or are you still speaking to some of these guys? I'm still speaking to them. I'm kind of hearing about what's going on a little bit. I mean, I'm obviously removed. Um, so the way I understand it is they have you have like the the semifinal, right? And then the super final. Um, do they still have time training? Yeah, I haven't seen the full schedule. I okay. would guess there's a time training, but I haven't seen that. Then there's the yeah the, the quali, which goes to the semi, where the semi, I yep. guess, is the old final. And then you're going to go to the final, which is 30 guys. and Top 30, yeah. I'm not sure yeah, how I all think... the protection works. I've read into it quite a bit. I know your old coach, he's he's read into the, the rules a lot. Like I'm, I'm just waiting to see a little bit more information. My my worry is it's happened so quick that we might not get the top 30 guys that on that track are the guys into that final, but I haven't, you know, hopefully things are going to maybe have some more information, but yeah, the sport's kind of changing in front of our eyes as well. Yeah. I personally, I'm not a fan of the way they're doing it. Um, And that kind of just goes back to people not understanding what goes into doing these race runs. Um, now instead of doing a qualifying run and a finals run which are both two hyper competitive ultra stressful scenarios where you really really need to perform you're just adding more to that um these these guys are going to be more mentally taxed after a weekend during a weekend more things to stress about um so it's just placing more toll on the athletes and it kind of just really kind of goes back to I mean, a lot of the times, unfortunately, it's just that it's not things aren't made and corrected in the best um, intentions of the athletes. It's more for the viewers and and that sort of thing. And I get it. It's a business and and it's a show at the end of the day. Um, But you need to look after your athletes. So it it could go either way. Maybe it it will make other things less relaxed, um, whether it's the qualifying or semifinal but i know how good these guys are and how bad everyone wants it um if it was myself it would just mean that i'm doing three full race runs on a weekend like as committed as i can which is uh, a dangerous place to be in there's a, that's a is that how you think you would have to tackle it or would the first qualifying not be a little bit more easy going or just getting into the depending how confident you are to get top 60 i guess yeah i mean uh, the 60 isn't changing right so it's going to feel the exact same as qualifying and these days um unless you're protected qualifying is is very stressful at the end of the day because you know if you if something stupid happens you crash you get a flat mechanical whatever your weekend's done so that's going to be super competitive and then um that semi-final quality is going to be extremely competitive because there's a lot of points on the line so I, if i'm correct you get what 200 for that which is only 50 points less than a, a win, a, a win-win. So 
everyone's going to be sending for that. And then it's going to be the same for the finals too. So these guys, um, everyone just wants it so bad these days and everyone's so fast. It's just, it's going to be a lot of time under the clock, um, trying to go very fast. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, that's just factual. Like I said, I've been pretty on the fence. I'm just trying to understand it more, but yeah, there's like certain points that there's quite a lot of depth in that semifinal. Mm -hmm. I, I think Chris was saying like, if you got, eighth in the semi it might be more than eighth in the final whatever the number was but yeah there's definitely uh, a lot of points you can get and i've heard someone else say this say like the sport of downhill has come a long way but the allure of it was that one run that you had right we did have to qualify mm -hmm. in and there was certain protection back in the day there was none and top 80 would go and that was just the way the sport was designed mm -hmm. then protection came in i guess for tv so it's progressing but it was still like you tune in and when you tell someone about the sport, they're like, you only have one chance at the final. Yep, only one chance. Now, there's only these like 30 guys that have this one chance. Like I'm wondering and I've, someone else is saying like, is the sport changing and is it, you know, what, what are we going to see change? Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to say kind of where it's going to go. This is obviously the first year with the discovery thing. And this is the first year with the new format. Um, I would hope that if there is more viewership to racing, there's going to be more opportunities outside of the sport for sponsorship and that sort of thing, hopefully bring more money into the sport. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's hard for us to sit here right now and, and just look at the new implementations of the rules and then kind of be able to predict where it's going to go. Um, but it's definitely interesting times. All I know is that when I first heard about the new rule changes with the semifinal and stuff, I was like, man, that's going to be a, a stressful weekend for the athletes. Yeah, uh, that's, that's factually, it definitely isn't. But like you say, you got to, you, you're a little bit withdrawn. So you've got a, a race ahead, but you're also saying things like, you know, if hopefully things improve and maybe the money gets better and we don't know all the knock on effects. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think we always going to have that race ahead and like, how do we protect the riders and progress the sport? And that's like a fair question. I'm not shitting on any rule changes. I'm just saying it'd be, it'd be really good if we make sure we look after the riders and the organizers and, 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 you know, like the big pie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That was over the years too. Like I always felt like the whole qualification thing could be refined and done better because everyone is so good these days and because of a technicality with the qualities um you're potentially limiting people that have something stupid happen to them during qualifying that could really perform on sunday um so yeah for me like the amount of qualifying um was always something i felt like could have could have been done better um whether that's you, you limit the amount of people that are there on a race, race weekend and then you only take, you take those people like for finals. Um, but yeah, it was something over the years that I was always kind of frustrated with because I was like, man, like someone, someone comes back, uh, they miss the season because of injury, but they've like, they really can perform and they get a stupid flat front tire and qualifying and they're not racing on Sunday, but there's a good chance they probably could have done something good. Um, I felt like in a sense, like it, it's hurting the show because you're potentially limiting people uh, from performing that could really 
do some great things. So I don't know. It's, it's easy for us to kind of sit here and, and you could go any way, whatever you want about it. There's so many, yeah. so many different avenues you could do with it. Um, but I, I think there's no denying that um, the mental toll on the racers now is going to be even more. And World Cups were already extremely gnarly the way they were set up. Yeah, good year to uh, hang up the boots. Definitely good, yeah. very good. <laughs> looking, looking like you knew something. No, but uh, I like what you said. Uh, in a perfect world, I would vote for that as well. Is more ways to build a system, whether it's like other sports, like in golf, where you have a card and you have injury clauses, and there's just like a total fair way to get the right people into that final especially if it's going mm -hmm. to 30 to get them on the broadcast yeah. those stories those guys that had like stupid issues you know or like there's an lcq like in moto yeah just hang like five spots out there you had a flat you had a crash <laughs> well if you're showing speed there's your shot you got another little five wild cards like quite a little cool story yeah. you know greg yeah, Menard yeah. came back through the last chance qualifier loic bruni or whoever wasn't protected that could be pretty sweet yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, pretty easy for us to kind of go any way we want with it. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it works. Yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting to the guys that, that make the rules. And I'm, I'm very curious and inquisitive, you know, because they would have looked at the data as well. So there's there's always three sides to a story, that's for sure. Yeah, but, um, I think it's just from a from a from someone who's making decisions that doesn't race, they don't realize how competitive everyone is these days. And anytime you put a clock in front of them, they're going to go for it. Even with time training now, like I feel like it used to be a little bit more laid back, but now it's like everyone wants to get a good, it's just, it helps you just get confidence throughout the weekend. Everyone wants to get a decent time training result in these days. So it's like, no matter what, if you're putting the clock in front of them and, and people are getting placed from it, there's going to be a decent amount of people that are going to be going for it. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. It's not only uh, Danny Hart and Bernard Kerr doing time runs these days. Yeah, that's exactly. for damn sure. Yeah. That was yeah, always such at... a funny mental game. Eh? You're like, yeah, how did you approach it when you were racing? <laughs> uh, depending on the track, like Wyndham, I would barely try and like time sick. And I'm like, oh shit, I've shown my cards here. <laughs> And then other tracks, I'll be like, yeah, I think I soft pedaled quite a lot. I got about 18th in time training. I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit, this is going to be a long weekend. Uh, so, uh, I know. It was such a, oh, it was such a double-edged sword. Like, exactly. It was a double-edged like, sword. If you, if you commit to trying to get a good result and you don't get it and you're like, oh, gosh, like yeah. how am I supposed to recover this weekend? But then... If you get a good result, then you're like, okay, I'm on. And then, or if you're like, oh, I, I crashed in that, or I didn't get a full run, or I caught someone or whatever, then you're like, okay, like you just leave it for the next yeah, day. Yeah, it was super difficult to take it for what it was. Like you could see how your body's going to react, your mind to a run and block out the time, but you just couldn't, right? And you'd make up little <sighs> stories. You're totally right. Yeah. Full on double-edged sword. Super interesting thing. And some people were ready I, for it and some people weren't, you know? Yeah, I was always one of the guys that I always tried to get a good result in time training. Like the way I approached a race weekend was I would try and get everything to roll into itself. So like in an ideal situation, you get a good time training result and you're like, okay, I, I feel good. Like today was a good day. I obviously have some speed. Then you take that to qualities and then you get a good quality result and you're like, okay, cool. Like I'm good for tomorrow. Like I just need to like fix some things up. So 
I always tried to just like approach each step as a way to gain confidence to roll into the next step. Um, but yeah, if, if you, if you think you're doing good and you go for a good time training result and you're like 30th, you're like, Oh gosh. Well, yeah, I, I like that strategy and you can, you can do a good run and, and take information from it. But if you do super well and you get complacent and then you, you know, if you timed fourth and then you try to look down the list, okay, he didn't try hard. He didn't try hard. How hard mm -hmm. am I going tomorrow? Uh, yeah. yeah. If you don't focus on yourself, you can get into a mess in quality. You know, and then put down yeah. like a solid quality run, and then you're 35th. You're like, How did that yeah. just happen? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so um, so you and you haven't spoken, or you, maybe you don't want to. You haven't spoken directly to Reese, any of these guys, like, but a texting, like, dude, what's going on with these rules? Like, are people just saying, well, racing's happening? I'll see you at the first race. I don't really care what the rules are. Like, well, maybe without coding, guys, what what does the attitude seem like? I haven't spoken to any racers um, specifically about that rule change. I, I chat to Reese a lot um, about just whatever. I chat to Chris a lot. Um, you know, those those are my guys. Um, but I haven't actually had a conversation with, with Reese or any of the other racers uh, about the rule change specifically. Yeah, fair so, enough. So I wish I wish I could have some insight, but I haven't had the conversation. Yeah, and no, I'm trying to tease it out you. What – um. I mean, while we're on the topic, now that you've stepped away, like who's your money on? What, what, how do you think this year is going to play out? Do we can do some bench racing right here, super early on, <laughs> super early. It's season only starts in June. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's it's hard to predict for elite. I mean, I think I think we know who all the guys are, and there's how there's so many guys that are so good. Um, you have all all of the dudes that are there in the top 10 every weekend. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Reese come back, um, get a full season under his belt. He was, he was, you know, the man before he, he had had that, that crash last year and stepped away. Um, it was awesome to see him kind of come back from finish the season off. Um, yeah, I think, I think all the dudes that we know that are going to be consistent, uh, are going to be there. Loris, uh, Danny, Loic, um, Troy, Reese is going to be up there. There's, I mean, Greg, like there's, there's so many guys, the top 20 could, could win on a weekend. Um, it's super cool to see all the younger American kids, um, and elite start to get some, some traction, Dante and Austin. Um, so it's really exciting in that sense to be able to see you have the guys that are sort of established and, and up there. Um, and then you have some, some kids that are, you know, gaining some confidence and getting experience and starting to sort of get up in there as well. So it's a really exciting time to see it. Um, juniors will be interesting, uh, with Jackson and Jordan leaving. Um, they're obviously going into elite. So that'll, that'll be exciting too. Um, yeah. Ryan Pinkerton's been going so fast at home. So yeah. I'm looking, looking Is that forward one of your to seeing picks? what he can do. Yeah. Yeah, he's on. That's so. <laughs> you just mentioned those juniors. I'm like, oh well, that's 28 elites that uh, get to race because they're probably part of the top 30, hopefully, depending oh, on yeah. expectations that they put on themselves yeah. and and the industry puts on them. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's always it's interesting to see when those like Jordan and Jackson are so fast, um, but it'll be it'll be cool to be able to see how they approach racing um, because. 
even though you can you can look at a timesheet and the clock and see what how their times compared to elite at the end of the day they they're not racing elite so it'll be interesting to see um how they go about like you said managing the expectations and, and being in the elite class because it is a different feel um as opposed to racing in juniors and then being able to compare your time to elites not to take anything away from them like they're obviously ultra talented so fast on bikes like they're gonna be fighting for podiums 100 um but it'll be it's it'll be exciting to be able to see uh how they approach it yeah it definitely will and and i think they've they've had these years and they're kind of on factory teams which i think helps they're pitting out of mm-hmm. the same place as minar but it's a little different when minar's in front of you or behind you in the gate in elite you know that's yeah. is a different feeling I, I think they'll manage it well might might be quick might take a few races who knows but uh, I don't think you've taken anything away from it because it's the same question I have. It'll be interesting to see it. It's exciting. Are you planning to do any support of these youngster races you spoke of? Maybe side mentoring? Like what is what is day to day and and the future hold for you in the in the bike industry then? Because you did release a little bit of news that you are gonna do a little bit yeah. of work in the industry. Yeah. Um- as of right now, I mean, it's nothing too serious. I'm super fortunate in the sense that uh, I stepped away from racing and after kind of reconnecting to bikes, I've realized how much love I have for the sport. I still have energy that I want to give back to the sport and want to be involved uh, to a certain degree. So it's pretty awesome that I'm able to sort of put together a little program like post-retirement, um, you know, do it, helping Santa Cruz a little bit with with uh, some testing stuff if they need help with that. Um, been able to partner with some other brands just for ambassador stuff, sort of project stuff. So like Crank Brothers, um, Fox, and uh, yeah, it's just exciting that I'm able to be able to be involved um, and and do these work, do some projects. Like, yeah, it's 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 exciting for me because there's been points over my career what I would have liked to do some videos and stuff like that but at the end of the day I'm a racer I'm prioritizing racing and training and making sure I'm ready for the season so things like that sort of get pushed to the side so um, it's exciting for me to be able to, to partner with brands and um, put together a cool little program so yeah I'll just I'll be doing uh, doing a few projects with Santa Cruz if they need help I'm, I'm, I'm riding the bikes and if they um, need help with anything I'm going to help them with testing and then working with Crank Brothers, Renthal, Fox Gear. Um, so it's pretty exciting for me to be able to just have an outlet to still be involved and do projects in the sport that I love so much. So I'm working on a few video projects and we'll see We'll see what the future holds. I'm super excited that um, I can still do things. I Like I said, I have so much love for the sport and for me it's it's very it's an exciting time because i'm able to approach it from a different mindset now and i get to do all of these things sort of just for like a pretty fun you know sort of side project like it's nothing serious i'm i'm not getting paid from it um but i'm i'm very happy to just be involved in doing doing something that i would be doing regardless so it's pretty epic on that side um and then with with the you know the up and coming kids it's I've been fortunate to be able to, we've had a really good program over the last few years doing a lot of riding and, and training together. Um, so it's been cool for me to be able to share a little bit of stuff. If, you know, I'm, I'm not giving them, um, giving them advice without them asking for it. I've always 
been super stoked to share if, if they ask for it, but I don't want to come off like, I think I know everything and I like, they, they should be asking me for stuff. Um, but it's been cool to be able to get to know the up and coming kids over the years and be able to see their transformation and their success come to fruition. So, um, it's exciting times for them. I'm excited to see how they do this year and, and just see how they approach these careers as they're really starting to blossom into it. Well, uh, if they, if any of them are listening, I hope they are going to pick your brain because, uh, there's no point bashing their head against the ground if you've been through some of these struggles <laughs> and you might see the blind spots a lot quicker than them, you know. I definitely had my mentors, but wish I had had more, I think. I think life's, it's critical to find people that you look up to and that are able to share the knowledge and, and kind of have been yeah. through, you know. So I've, I've yeah. been through a similar situation. You don't have to do it this way, but here's, you know, here's what I'm seeing. Here are your options. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I... I I've always loved to be able to uh, give my take on things in regards to the the experience and knowledge. Not, I definitely didn't do everything right, but um, I do enjoy uh, giving giving the lessons that I've already had to go through um, forward. So as I'm I'm happy to share as much as they want if they ask for it. So it's pretty cool. Um, like Austin started training with Kill Mary, which was pretty sweet. Um, so it's cool that that sort of connection. Uh, he met Chris because Chris would always come out here during boot camp, and um, Austin was in the riding group. So Chris is out here doing boot camp with me. Um, but Austin got to meet him, and they sort of started a connection. And then once I stepped away from racing, there was a spot open. So he's training with him now. So it's it's exciting times for sure. That's cool. Did you guys do a boot camp that side before the season, kind of like the Moto Boys? Yeah, yeah. We unfortunately with the last few years it didn't work out because of COVID and stuff and travel wise. Um, but yeah, he would always come out during the winter and we'd get you know two weeks or a month, whatever, and we'd just get a lot of the testing done and that sort of thing. Yeah, I've been obviously listening to some of his stuff and seeing him on the side of the track. Got a lot of respect for him, and he seems just so knowledgeable and so passionate about the about the sport. Um, yeah yeah that's one of those guys that's one of the guys looking back on their career and you're like what would i have done without him um yeah i owe so much to that guy he i started working with him at the end of 2017 and he really helped me get to that next step in my career and it was just so awesome because he's so much more than just a, a trainer right he's a riding coach he was you know such a great friend such a great mentor he's was with me through everything. Um, so it was just so awesome how in depth the relationship was. Um, and it wasn't just him sending me workouts or telling me what intervals I needed to do. You know, there was, there's so much to Chris, um, and so much value from him. So I'm, he's very sought after, but I'm surprised more people aren't trying to email him and asking him if, if they, if he would take them on. Cause it's, uh, <laughs> It's pretty much the most dialed you could get. Yeah, yeah, I gathered that. He's got, definitely when you speak to him, there's an holistic approach. And, you know, I ask him about Reese and coming back or Tane and stuff like that. So he'd always have uh, really thoughtful answers and kind of gets the sport, you know? Yeah, and he knows his athletes so well. So it's so personalized the way he goes about uh, everything with it, with his athletes because he knows how we operate. He knows that... Um, 
one way, one approach to things is not going to work for uh, certain athletes compared to others. And he knows what's going to be best for all of us. So he was, yeah, there's so much that he gave me um, so much help with coming back from injuries, dealing with expectations on racing and like how rare is it to have a, a fitness coach that's there at the race, giving you lines. And the fact that all of his athletes fully trust him. Like if Chris tells me this is the line, like I don't even question. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm switching from outside to inside. Cause Chris told me to go inside. Like there's no, there's no coaches out there where you have that much trust in them. Um, from the bike side of things. Cause he is such a sick rider and he's so experienced with the racing side of things. Yeah, that's cool to hear. Yeah, I, I worked with Millway back in the day, and I think there's definitely some similarities. But uh, I'd love to chat to Chris some more because, yeah, it's, it's knowledge base and, like you say, the passion, and it all shines through. It's nice to have someone that you can, you know, because there's a lot of doubt, right? As in, or at least I had a lot of doubt. <laughs> Not to speak mm-hmm. about myself. Oh, I had all of the and doubt. <laughs> maybe this is something people don't speak about while they're racing because you don't want to come across weak and you know, which is good because there's a you know this concussion speak and you know I'm struggling, not feeling myself and all this stuff's coming a bit more into the open. And in other sports as well, people are speaking about depression and all this shit. Like everyone's yeah. human beings. Number one, then they're a bike racer. Number two, or a other a career person, but everyone has doubts. And to have yep. someone in your corner that you can trust that can just get you back on that right path. Hey, it's yep. inside here. Go worry about something else. We got you. Uh, there's yep. a lot to that, like helping people make decisions. Yep. Yeah. He was, I was as open with Chris as you could possibly be. Um, it, so there's, there's so much benefit to that to just whether it doesn't even have to be your coach, you know, it's just, whether you have really good friends or a really great family at yeah. home, just having that support network, like you need to be able to let go of that stuff. Um, and for me, it was so awesome with Chris because I would be telling him what I'm feeling about racing and he knows exactly the person I am. He knows everything that I've done to get to that point. Like what's going on? He's at the races. Like there's just so much understanding from him. So it was just so awesome to be able to to share all of those feelings. Like even over the last year, like this last season was such such a struggle mentally. And I was just so open with Chris about what, what I was going through, you know. And, and it was hard for me at, at times because I don't want to come off like with me, it was all about like training and stuff. It's like regardless of how I feel on that day, like if if there's a session that's programmed, like I'm doing that like that session exactly so it was for me it was hard for me to open up about certain things because i didn't want to seem like i was like trying to slack if that makes sense yeah um, that makes but a lot yeah of sense. it was it was so such an intimate and is an intimate relationship with chris because he was yeah one of my really really great friends such a great mentor like so much um on top of just writing my physical programming so there, there's so much value to him and i think that having that having that network um that support network when you're racing is so crucial yeah everyone's different but i would definitely recommend getting some form of coach that you can trust if you get on with them it's quite i mean me personally depending on your personality type someone like jared brian lopes comes to mind they trained themselves they had enough confidence in their knowledge or whatever it is right but i love to know like there's the program i tick that 
I go to the race. I've done all I can. The race yeah. is the race is going to hopefully work its way out. There's there's something quite peaceful in that, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, it's 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 it takes a lot off the athlete to not have to worry about am I doing enough? Did I do everything the right way? Like it was it was always really a freeing feeling to get to the racing and being like, well, like I know I need to worry about myself this weekend. I need to do my I need to ride the way that I need to ride and I need to make sure I'm on the right lines, that sort of thing, but just getting to the racing and knowing like the whole physical training side like that's taken care of. You're like from from a physical standpoint, I've done everything I can to be as ready as possible for this weekend. And these injuries you went through, and some of them were like back to back and 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 pretty horrific ones. Maybe it's a twofold question. Looking back now, was that the sport progressing and you pushing yourself? Maybe when it wasn't the right time, I'm sure there was a lot of unluckiness. I'm not insinuating anything, and maybe the process coming back from injury. Uh, what did that look like? I think maybe a lot of people might be interested in that and could learn a lot from that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard to say like what caused the injuries. Um, so like I guess I'll just run through all of the injuries and then we can go from there. But so nineteen middle of the season, I broke my wrist at Leo Gang. So I crashed. I I crashed. I had a terrible practice uh, race day. I think I crashed like two out of three practice runs race morning like you know when you just like you get done with practice and you're just like well i guess today is just not happening um but yeah i crashed the last practice run i thought i tweaked my thumb i was like oh that's sore whatever um went down to the pits and there's obviously a few hours before finals so get down there started icing it took some ibuprofen um kind of was getting more and more sore but i was like whatever the ibuprofen kicked in went and did like, I remember I was warming up for my race run, you know, you get off the trainer and you hop on your bike, you're pedaling around before you get to the start gate. And I'm like, man, like this, this wrist is really starting to hurt. But you, it's pretty crazy what you can race on, what, like in the race scenario compared to practicing. So raced, whatever, didn't, didn't think much of it. And then got done that day. Um, we had Innsbruck that week for Crankworks. So we went over to Innsbruck. And it's like three or four days later, my wrist is just like, so swollen can't move it at all and like every day i'm just like oh it's just sprained like i'm waiting for it to get better and then like i went for uh, a trail ride and like couldn't even ride on the way down just like had to ride the fire road on the way down i'm like right i need to go home get this thing checked out so flew home broken skateboard so i had to get surgery on that got a pin in that or a screw in that came back for the back half of the season struggled with expectations and coming back from an injury um, I was able to finish off the season well with snowshoe. And then, so then you go to 20, we have COVID races get pushed all the way to the end of the year. There's only, what was there? World. So five races worlds. And then two at, um, two at Luza and what were the other races? Two at Mar- Maribor, maybe Maribor. Two at Maribor. Only, there yeah, was yeah, two yeah. two venues and Worlds being a third venue, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Like, so the five no races. races. So Worlds crashed at Worlds at Leo Gang. Broke my hand. Shit. So that's Good the luck at Leo Gang. Season, entire season done. Um, so that was extremely tough for me because as athletes, we started training and I started training in November, which is where I normally would start training for a World Cup season. And we didn't race till October. 
So I was like, I literally just put 11 months and the whole way I approached it with the races throughout COVID was like, I was always like going to make sure I was ready to go. So I was like the mindset where like, no, the race is going to happen. It's going to happen. And then you get that one canceled and you're like, all right, the next one's going to happen. So literally like more or less 11 months of prep to get to that point. So then crash missed the entire season. So then I'm like, wow, this really sucks. But I'm like, okay, I was still like in a pretty good mindset. Like after I came home, got home, psyched for 21, had a good, uh, good preseason at home. Like all the races went really well at home. Back to Leo Gang, crashed, snapped my arm. So then, this is got, three injuries home. at Leo Gang. Three at Leo yeah, Gang. Yeah. Now it comes back to me. I'm like, it was an absolute shocker that it happened yeah. at Leo Gang. Yeah. Yeah. So then that was like, I was. I was such a mess, like just bawling, like so just destroyed. I was just like, I can't keep doing this. Like I just like, just keep doing the same process. And then like knowing like, I want like, I'm one of the guys, like I can get these results. I just can't get there. And then this year, um, everything went well, like good preseason at home, was feeling ready to go. From a mental standpoint, it was really hard because at this point this year, I had like no mode, like my why for do everything, doing everything wasn't there, but I was still doing, I was still as committed and putting that much effort in. So it was like, almost like it, it was even more hard because I was still putting as much effort in, but the reason for why I was doing things wasn't there. So like I would go and have these, you have your really gnarly conditioning sessions where you're just like dying and like, I'm just doing it to do it because I'm a racer and I have to do it, but I'm not, I don't have like that foundation of why I'm doing it. So every day, just waking up battling with the motivation and trying to find the, the why as to why I'm doing these things, because I'm just like, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm all over all these years. Like I can't get these results that I know I'm capable of. Um, so we go do team camp. We had a really good race at, uh, we did that to Ruka race, which was really sick. Like, Everything was really good. Went and stayed at Wales before um, Lords. Had so much fun with Reese and Cade and, and all the guys riding there. Like had like insane days at Dovey. Um, and then went to Lords. Qualifying didn't go that great, but I was like feeling really good. And then crashed in finals and like in my race run, like I, I'm not going to be the guy that's like, oh, if I wouldn't have crashed, I would have gotten this. But like, it was really, it was really good for me because like when I was in the race run, I was like, I'm riding exactly how I want to ride. Like, this is like, this is that feeling for those race runs that like where I want to be at. Um, so then I crashed at Lords, and then that was really tough because that was like, I was at the point where I was thinking like, this is going to be like the momentum shift. Um, and I was feeling good on the weekend and knowing that like there was something there there was a potential there to do well. And I felt good. I was confident bike was working good. I was feeling really fit after the off season. And then I went to four actually. And then I went to the BDS. So I came home for like six weeks or whatever, went to the BDS to race, crashed at the BDS, broke a piece. Uh, I chipped my wrist. No. So I didn't race the, B I Dude, didn't race the BDS. Wrist. I know. I know. So I did, I did that, which was like, it was like, obviously it was pretty mellow. I didn't need surgery or whatever, but Spent the whole next 10 days until the World Cup getting that ready to go. So then I got back from that and then went to Fort Bill for the World Cup and then broke the finger, which is like, I don't know if you saw it, but the pinky was like, I did a good job on it. Wasn't so it like 90 degrees or something? It wasn't fully 90, but it was the first time where I've had a broken bone where I'm like, yeah, that's broken. <laughs> that's um, definitely broken. 
so then went home got surgery on that and then went through that whole process and then went to u.s national champs clipped a pedal with a rock that was sticking into the side of the track rode the front wheel like off this drop into this berm i was just so happy i didn't hit my head i must have rolled out of it good but just took it all on my hip broke a piece off my hip so that was that was the entire year done um so I think like looking back, I don't know, it was, it's hard. Like some, some crashes were just stupid crashes, unlucky. Um, and then other things it's like, was I trying to force things? Was I too worried about the expectations and riding, um, you know, trying to force myself to ride at the level that I want to be at. Um, it's hard to really look at it and, and point fingers as to why all of these things were happening. Um, I think with the hip, like I was even before this, like even before training for this year kind of came into fruition, I was pretty much already set that this was going to be my last year racing because I knew my contract was going to be up after this year. Um, but I was, you know, going through the season and I was just like looking back on my career and I was like, are these moments, one of these moments where I'm just like, if is this the time to push forward or is this my time? Like, are these the signs to telling yeah, me? Yeah. Like, what's I the universe telling racing? you, right? Yeah. And I, I was trying to figure out like, do I want to keep racing? Um, and then when I did the hip, I was like, okay, like I've had enough signs, like it's time to get out. Um, and I think it was, it was just, it was hard to be racing when you're not fully committed um, the, the level is just too high these days. It's not safe to be trying to ride at the same level when mentally you're not fully there. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of going into it. Sorry. That was an extremely long answer to your question, but that was fascinating. Like when you, when you say it all in one go, I think people can really appreciate what you went through because we're on the side and we're like, no ways he got hurt. That's a bummer. You come back, you get the podium again. I'm like, holy shit told you i'm buying this stock it's up again <laughs> and then like you get hurt at leo gang again and you know you forget you're like wow i think he got hurt there the last time and then someone's like yeah he did and then you do it again like to hear it all in one i think people can appreciate what you went through and and how tough it is and just to mentally be able to tell the stories and how you bounce back i mean that's just grit and determination all well, over I appreciate it, it. it's and uh, i don't want people to think that i don't want to come off like my injuries like you look at the injuries the injuries themselves aren't bad you know like i'm super fortunate like none of my injuries have lasting effects like i didn't do a shoulder or tweak a neck or something like that um or a knee you know i'm very fortunate that it was like all the injuries it was like right like once they heal like you're you're good to go at least like the the bones healed like you obviously need to get back to race pace and go through that whole process um but they weren't these crazy injuries like what brooke had to go through or or uh greg doing the neck like there's so many people that have so much gnarlier injuries um it was just yeah i mean this is my story that it was from a mental standpoint that was the hardest thing for me yeah. and um like you said earlier everything's relative and to me, it took an extremely big toll on me. No, no, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. The, the the amount of momentum you would have and they get knocked back down and momentum again and that process of getting back up to race speed once people have raced the season, that's horrible. Like it's, that is soul destroying coming back and being like, oh, I'm not quite ready, got to get up to pace. Like 
that's a super yeah. difficult difficult process and touch wood i was lucky enough not to have to deal with it too much but it's it's not a fun process yeah yeah and and Based off of 2019, like now that I had that new expectation for myself, that was what that wasn't like the main factor. But because I had proven to myself that I can be battling with the top guys and being on podiums and fighting for wins, um, that's the new standard that you set for yourself. So it was like, right, like I've done that. Why can't I keep doing that? And then so that's what I'm training for. That's what I'm spending the whole offseason thinking about is getting podiums, like fighting for that top spot. And just to be able to just like, just keep going through the process of dealing with all the mental stuff, all the physical stuff, getting myself ready, going through the whole preseason, getting to the races, being like thinking of myself as one of the top guys, but just not even being able to get into that position to prove it again, to reprove it to myself and to everyone else around me um, was yeah, extremely tough. And I mean, I, I, all of the pressures really were all for myself. Like the team was so supportive over the years. Like I never had anyone, you know, giving me a hard time for, for keep, for the continuous injuries. Um, but yeah, just like after knowing what I was capable of to me, that was the new standard. So it was really tough to not even be able to keep uh, getting to that position again. Yeah. Like, Looking at the longevity of someone like Greg, is it just does it does it even make sense that he's still able no. to find the why? You know, like he's got the world championships, he's got the title, he's probably got the money in the bank. Who knows? But in, it's just insane, isn't it? How he's wired. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty awesome. And I mean, the only the only reason they're there is because they they obviously ha- they they love it you know they're there to be that to be there that long you're doing it for the right reasons yeah no he loves that like competitiveness eh? and like figuring it out even when he's down and out yeah yeah and i mean you could say the same thing for Gwynny too i mean he's so decorated he could easily step away and well deserved um but he's still and i almost feel like he's probably enjoying it now more than maybe he ever has um so it's pretty awesome to see that the guys that are there just absolutely loving it and um omri is still pretty early on in his career but you can tell that he just loves what he does which is yeah. really great yeah to see. he's got some serious fight yeah Gwynny's gonna be interesting this year i think like we're seeing the signs of his old self but you know, a few years ago, I, I could be totally incorrect. It just seemed like he was going to come in, dominate, not dominate, make good money, and he might have just drifted into another industry. If that had happened, I wouldn't have been surprised the way he spoke. But now, mm-hmm. it seems like he's got a new like love for it, appreciation for the sport, maybe his status in the sport, um, building YouTube and stuff like that. It seems like he's like, okay... Like maybe there is something more to this this industry that's given me a lot. It just seems like well, I don't know if I misread some of his earlier years. Yeah, I haven't specifically asked him that, um, but looking from the outside, it, it almost kind of seems like he's almost gotten um, a second win. He's obviously was he had an amazing season this last year, and I think I think he's just really enjoying a lot of the stuff um, outside of racing that comes with racing. You know, so he's really enjoying like the testing side of things, making videos. Um, and just, he gets, he's living just a great life outside of racing. So, um, I think he's just being able to balance a lot of the things really well. And also too, it seems like he has a really good approach to the actual racing these days as well. 
Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, your next chapter, how long is the education, the process? Like, I mean, I know nothing about it because it's not really in South Africa. It's not a career choice like in America. Yeah. Yeah. So basically the way it works, it's, it's different everywhere, but um, here you, you, you have your, you have your fire classes, like your core classes. So that's through a college and you eventually will get um, a degree for fire. So uh, over the course of the years, like I, I knew that that was the end goal. So I would take a class or two during the off season. So then it, like when it came around this time, um, when I decided to step away, I only had a few classes left. So was able to finish up those classes. So I have all of my, um, my fire classes done. And then I also went to EMT school. So I got that my EMT done. And then the way it works for a lot of the departments out here is that you have to have a basic fire academy to be able to apply for their department. And then any department that wants to hire you is going to hire you. And then they're going to put you through their own four month academy uh, before you go to the floor. So you, there are departments that you don't need that basic fire academy to apply for them, but it limit it limits your options. So right now the plan is to, um, I'm just applying for the departments that I, I can with, with the, um, certifications that I have right now and, um, testing for, yeah, testing for departments, that sort of thing. So I'm trying to be as productive as possible. I was hoping to be able to get into a fire academy that was at the end of this month, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I wasn't able to get my official, I wasn't able to submit, um, for the academy until I got my EMT school done. So I got into the first one that I could, but by the time I finished up, they had gone to a wait list. So I've moved down a bit on the wait list, but I don't think it's going to happen. So yeah, right now it's just um, applying for the departments that I can and, and see what, what happens from there. Um, so I could do the next academy, which would be in six months, but yeah, so it, it's, it's, there's no, there's so many different ways that you could go about getting hired. Um, and I would like to do a season on a wildland hand crew, at least a season on a hand crew before I go to the floor. So that would just be fighting wildland fires. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Um, and versus I'm, the I'm floor. Very, so that's wildfires. That's like that wildfires. And then the floor is like municipal, like structure side of firefighting, like buildings and, and things like yeah. that. Wow, man. Yeah. So um, I'm very much at the beginning of the process. Um, so it's, yeah, kind of full beginner's mindset, but it's super exciting. Um, it's nice to have new goals and motivations, things to work at. Um, and it's cool to be here after um, knowing that this is where I was going to want to pursue, um, regardless of when racing ended. So yeah, it's exciting, man. Yeah. And how old are you now again? I'm 25. Yeah, oh my goodness it's actually younger than i thought yeah you are yeah this whole thing's pretty special with uh, the way you're able to reflect and this this plan a that you had and yeah i look forward to following the journey i mean thanks so much for opening up and and sharing all this and coming on the podcast it's been it's been really really cool to to actually connect uh, maybe in a longer form than high-fiving and meeting you on the on the race yeah. circuit no, I, I really appreciate you having me on. And like I said, I have a lot of respect for you. So I, I appreciate the kind words from your end. It means a lot. Thanks, Ben. I'll have to invite you back or maybe you'll come do some bench racing. Uh, I will be yeah, texting you once those races start. <laughs> hey? 
Yeah, maybe I'll just be a full-time bench racer now. Dude, it's not that it's not that bad. <laughs> Ask me. But um, I, I will be checking in to see how it was watching the first race, you know, the first season that you couldn't be there, even though I think you've made a great choice. And, and life's a long time, a short time, but a long time, you know, like it's yeah. kind of that, that whole cliche there as well. So thanks so much, my man. And uh, if anyone else... As something nice to say, reach out to him. He's he's still on his social media and, and I've been seeing all the writing he's been doing. It's been cool to witness. Thank you. I appreciate it. Guys, you know what to do. If you enjoyed the episode, maybe share it with a friend if you can get some inspiration because this story was. Leave us a review and uh, till the next one, peace. I've always taken my health very seriously, but I must admit it's very tough to have a balanced diet every single day, especially when I'm traveling and on the road a lot. Then I found Athletic Greens. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. So what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I've never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. What a mission. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, all while still tasting good. What I find is it's beyond easy to use and that's definitely what I need. All you need to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and take it first thing in the morning. After a long flight or travel, it is a must for me too. It's that simple. They also make travel packs which I like to take on the road and to events. I notice a big difference when I include AG1 into my routine. I feel more focused and energized to get my day going. I seem to be more alert as well. Let's all be honest. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy, which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity, and alertness. Now, I don't care what you do. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by many professional athletes and health experts. To make trying it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle again that is athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance i'll link it in the show notes as well